It's really good to see you guys. Um, for those of you who are new, I uh, was Brandon and uh, George. It's good to meet you guys. Um, we're uh, studying the life of Christ through a harmony of the Gospels. We're taking the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we're studying Jesus' earthly ministry when he came to earth and walked among us and lived the life that we couldn't live. Uh, and died a death that we deserve so that we could have a life we couldn't earn. And that's why He came. He came to uh, live out the, the law that we couldn't and to die on a cross and pay for all the times that we failed Him, failed the law and uh, sinned and fall short of His glory. And so as we study the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we learn about the, the earthly ministry of Jesus. And <clears throat> right now we're in the book of Luke. Uh, we're in Luke chapter 11. So if you want to turn there to Luke chapter 11, we're going to finish that chapter up today. Um, if I were going to title the lesson today, I would call it Table Manners. Table Manners. Y'all know when you were a little kid, there were certain rules that you yes. had to keep when you were at the table, right? Yes. What's the rule you had to keep when you were at the table? Elbows off the table. Elbows off the table. I don't know why that's a rule. I don't, I don't either I, I, never, I do it anyway. I, I don't mm-hmm. understand that one, but that's a rule, right? Don't put your elbows on the table. Uh, at my grandparents' house, we always had to ask permission to get up and leave yes. the table right can i go i'm finished can i please go play with my friends and my rule was no feeding the dog at the table. don't feed the dog that's exactly right <laughs> <laughs> my granddad was a stickler for that rule and the only problem was the dog always sat next to him and the dog weighed 60 pounds right a little cocker spaniel was fat as a pig so she was getting fed from somewhere so he was telling us not to feed the dog but steady he was feeding the dog, feeding the dog right <laughs> so he was doing uh, he said, do as I say, not as I, I do. And that's what we're going to learn about today in this lesson is that um, Jesus is going to confront a group of people around a dinner table and he's going to call them out on the way that they're living their lives. And so I, I do want us to go ahead and look. I want to remind you of one of the last passages that we studied together last week and then we'll get into the main text so look at luke chapter 11 verse 35 and 36 it says then watch out that the light in you is not darkness if therefore your whole body is full of light with no dark part in it it will be wholly illumined as when the lamp illumines you with his rays. So Jesus gave a warning to the people that were listening to him, and the, the warning he gave was be sure that the light in you is not darkness. And what does anybody remember what we said that meant last week? Jesus said, be careful that the light in you is not darkness. Well, at first it sounded a little confusing, but when we think about it, it's like whatever idea or idle or whatever, you don't want to make that seem wonderful or attract people to the wrong thing. That would be showing people who are looking for God the wrong road. Right. So God is light and in him is no Darkness. darkness at all. And then we learned that the devil is the um, author of murder and lies, right? He's been a murderer and a liar since the beginning. And one of the typical uh, indications that the devil is in control of a person's life is, is that it's full of death and full of deceit, full of uh, darkness, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the worst deceptions that there is in the world 
It's a, it would be a deception for me to lie to you. That's a deception. But an even worse deception is when we lie to ourselves. When we convince ourselves that we are light when in reality we're darkness. Right? And all of us in this room, I can promise you, struggle with that. Mm-hmm. Um, even I promise you guys, the, the strongest Christian that you know, the, the person that you think of who is the most holy, holy, holy person you know, struggles with sin in their life. One of the indications that you really are a child of God is that there is that struggle. That you struggle with uh, your addictions. You struggle with uh, your lust. You struggle with self-deception. You struggle with these things. So a person who is struggling in these things is somebody who's fighting against it, right? Mm -hmm. Well, if you're fighting against the darkness, that shows you that there is light in you. It's those who don't struggle that embrace the darkness that are the ones that are are really in trouble. And not only that, generally when we embrace the darkness, we get used to the dark, don't we? Yes. We get callous to to the darkness. Sure. Have you you ever noticed that uh, when you... uh, when you're around some Christian people and somebody uh, comes up and starts cussing or something, you kind of flinch, don't you? Yeah. It's like, don't say that. These people are Christian. Right. Like, there's a sensitivity right. to it, you know? And, and think about it when you were a kid. The first time you and your buddies was on the playground and somebody said a cuss word, remember? And everybody yeah, just stopped and was like, we weren't supposed to. You, you were just shocked that that person said that. And it would be a simple word like, uh, damn or hell or something. And everybody was like, but then what happens is, is everybody in your crowd starts cussing, right? And before long, you get so used to the language that even F-bombs don't offend you anymore. The problem with that is you go out in the streets and you play with your friends all day long and you curse and you cuss and you cuss and you get so used to living that way. And then you come home and sit down at the dinner table around your parents. And eventually what happens is you lose that ability to guard your mouth, don't you? And what happens? Those words come out in front of the people that it's not supposed to come out in front of. Yes. But what about when you live with parents who have foul mouths and you're used to it all the time anyway? Well, that's true. There, there's a lot of parents that don't set good examples. But the point I, the, what I'm trying, the point I'm trying to bring across here is that it's very easy to get used to the dark. One of the things that you'll notice in the world around you that we live in is that the devil is constantly pushing the envelope, right? Um, I was just reading an article this week. Where, uh, you know, we have all of this transvestites and homosexuality, all these things running rampant in our country now. But not very long ago, I was just reading an article about Freddie Mercury, who was the lead singer for Queen. He died with AIDS. But in the 80s, he and his uh, band made a video where they all dressed like women. And even MTV refrained from showing the video. Okay. Like you could see it over in Europe, you could see it in some other places, but on American television they wouldn't play it. So even in the 80s, there was still a, a sensitivity to sexual immorality. But now we have drag queens going into the schools and reading story time to the kids, you see? So what happens? We, 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 we get used to the dark. Mm-hmm. 
Well, Jesus is the light of the world. And when Jesus steps into the room, guess what happens? Light. The dark, it lights up the room and the darkness scatters. And that's kind of what we're seeing as pastor. Let's look together. Again, I want to remind you of that passage. Watch out that the light in you is not darkness. That's a call from Jesus for us to check ourselves before we wreck ourselves. Make sure that you have not deceived yourself and that you are actually walking in darkness when you think that you are walking in light. He Would says, negative be uh, spreading darkness like sure, negative all sure, the time? Oh, sure. And that. Um, one of the worst sins that I struggle with, I was just talking about this at work this week. The Bible says, do all things without grumbling. <laughs> without so com- hard. Without complaining. <laughs> well, why would Jesus say that? Why would Why would the scriptures tell us not to complain? Because nobody wanted to hear it. <laughs> well, that is true. Nobody's listening to your complaints anyhow, right? right? They all complain to themselves. But what are some other problems with complaining? Well, we're not appreciative of what he blessed us. We focus on the negative things in our lives, and we don't we don't look at all of the blessings that we do have. I complain about having. Uh, a rough day at work with some knucklehead employees that don't do their job. I complain about that. But the reality is I have a job. And as long as they're knuckleheads, I'll still have a job. Won't right. <laughs> <laughs> you, you understand what I'm saying? Okay. Like, you're not, not appreciative right. that you're working. On you're, not appre- you're not appreciative that you have a job and that you have a paycheck. Mm-hmm. I'm always focusing on what's wrong with other Which people. Which is so necessary. Right? I'm always focusing on other people. Why? Because as long as I'm dealing with your problems, I don't have to deal with mine. And so most of my complaining is just me pointing out things that's wrong with me that I see in other people. Because it's easier for me to recognize it than that person. Oh, he's arrogant. He's cocky. You know, he's he's loud and obnoxious. And in reality, that's me. I see my shortcomings in other people and it's just way easier for me to pick it out in others. But Jesus would come into the room and he's calling these people out. He's calling the darkness out of them. Why? What is the purpose? Why does Jesus call out the darkness in people? To make room for the light. Okay. And what is the door that opens so that the light can come in? Jesus. The heart. The heart. (laughs) Grace. Jesus. And not only that, but it's repentance, isn't it? The Bible teaches us repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. So to repent means to recognize that I am wrong, turn from the wrong I'm doing, and turn to doing right. I'm confessing, confessing that sin is part of repentance, right? Confessing sin is a part of repentance. A person who is truly repentant does confess their sin. But I want you to remember this. This is so important, especially for folks that have struggled with addiction. Repentance is not crying and being sorry, although both of those things take place when a person is truly repentant. They do cry and they are sorry. Repentance is not crying and shedding tears. Repentance is changing. Repentance is when we turn from what we're doing wrong and turn towards what is right and walk towards what is right. So there's a lot of people in this world that are sorry, but they're sorry they're in jail. They're sorry they got caught. They're sorry that the drugs are doing this to their body. But they're not sorry for what they're doing. What is the truest indication that someone is truly sorry, that someone is truly repentant? They change. And start to get better. That is proof that repentance is at work in a person's life when they change. So, Jesus brings out 
his light into a dark world to expose the darkness. Not just to beat people down and send them to hell, but to cause people to recognize that they're on their way to hell and have them turn from hell. To turn from death and destruction. To turn from guilt and shame and sorrow. And to turn to his forgiveness and his love and his mercy and his strength to walk the right way. You see how that works? So a lot of times we pick on these people that we see Jesus picking on, but in reality, in that room, at that table, I'm not Jesus. I'm the one he's pointing out my flaws to. You see how that works? Right. And so today, let's look. It says, now, this is uh, Luke 11, verse 37 through 54. Now, when he had spoken, a Pharisee asked him to have lunch with him. And he went in and reclined at the table. When the Pharisee saw it, he was surprised that he had not first ceremonially washed before the meal. But the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup. And of the platter, but inside of you, you are full of robbery and wickedness. You foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give that which is within as charity, and then all things are clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you pay tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb, and yet you disregard justice and the love of God. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the chief seats in the synagogues and the respectful greetings in the marketplace. Woe to you, for you are like concealed tombs, and the people who walk over them are unaware of it. One of the lawyers, a scribe, said to him in reply, Teacher, when you say this, you insult us too. But Jesus said, Woe to you lawyers as well, for you weigh men down with burdens hard to bear, while you yourselves will not even touch the burden with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets, and it was your fathers who killed them. So you are witnesses, and approve the deeds of your fathers, because it was they who killed them, and you build their tombs. For this reason also the wisdom of God said, I will send to them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill, and some of them they will persecute, so that the blood of all of the prophets shed since the foundation of the world may charge, be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the house of God, yes, I tell you it shall be charged against this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You yourselves did not enter, and you hindered those who were entering. When he left there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to say, be very hostile and to question him closely on many subjects, plotting against him to catch him in something that he might say. So, Jesus is invited to go to a dinner. All right. And at this dinner, he comes in and he is sitting around a table with a group of Pharisees and a group of scribes. Now, what we're going to do is we'll the difference between a Pharisee and a scribe. A Pharisee is uh, someone who is uh, a member of the Jewish religious community, and they are very, very uh, particular about their external religion. 
They always go to Sunday school. They, they memorize all the Bible verses they're supposed to. They always give money when the offering plate comes around. They don't smoke, they don't drink, and they don't chew, and they don't hang around with those. But they have do. bad manners. Well, the problem <laughs> is, is that all of their religion, our religion, God gives us religion so that we can know Him and enjoy Him and glorify Him. It's about Him, not us. But the tendency of the Pharisees is to make the religion about them. And the scribes? And the scribes are the scribes are like lawyers. They're the ones that um, deeply dissect the laws of God and interpret it and put their interpretations out on the people. Oh, okay. So basically, um, I guess like a religious lawyer, someone who knows the words of the law and is able to use those words to impose their power on other people. Okay, so Johnny Cochran within the church. Okay, Johnny Cochran in the church, if you say. All right, so this is the group of people that are around Jesus. And they've invited him in because remember in our lesson last week we were together, what did Jesus do? He called them out and exposed them in public to all the people. So now they brought him into this room and they want to, they're going to, we kind of figure out, um, you see in verse 53 and 54 it says, the scribes began to be very hostile and questioned him closely on many subjects, plotting against him to catch him in something he might say. So they were waiting on him to they, to say something that would be wrong or in error so that they could accuse him of being a false teacher. But, um, most of the time, I'm not going to say this all the time, but a lot of times when people are asking you questions, they're just digging for information, right? And most of the time it's not information uh, that they need to know. It's information that they can get on you to hold something against you. Like, they're not going to listen to what you tell them anyhow, but they're just waiting for you to say something that's wrong or say something that they can accuse you of. You see what I mean? So when they're asking for these questions, they're asking these questions to you, they're probing you to find weaknesses in who you are. And that's what these people are doing to Jesus. So when he had spoken, he went to have lunch with them. He went and he reclined at the table. Now, when the Pharisees saw it, he was surprised that he had not first ceremonially washed before the meal. Now remember, a Pharisee was someone who was separate. They had all of these religious rituals. They wore the right clothes. They were like the leaders of the Jewish. Yes, leaders. and they didn't. And they made the decision. Right. They didn't like. They didn't hang around with people that weren't Jewish. Like a Gentile would be considered a dog, and they would be considered defiled if they touched somebody who was not a Jew. And. Uh, so they were very religious. They were very externally clean. On the outside, looking at them, you would see they were squeaky From clean. rules that they made up, right? right? But the clean and the unclean? Well, some of the rules were rules that were given by Moses, and okay. then they amplified them. Okay. Yeah, and they, they, they interpreted Moses' law in ways sometimes that actually did away with what Moses' true intention was when he gave the law, or God's intention when he gave Moses the law. So they would make these rules up. They would somehow, remember they had that one rule, the Corban rule, which said that if if um, they gave all of their, if they devoted all of their money to the temple, then they didn't have to give the money to their uh, parents. You see? So their parents were, uh, you know, uh, not being taken care of, and they were like, well, I don't have the money to take care of because all of my money is Corbin. It's been given to the temple as a gift to God. And so what Jesus said was, well, the, role, the Corbin rule was never given to you for you to be able to abuse your parents because the Ten Commandments says, love your, um, to honor your mother and father. 
You see? Honor and so, my mother and my father. Yeah, yeah. So to honor mom and dad means to take care of them. Yep. And these people say, oh, well, I don't have time to take care of them because of money to take care of them because I've, I've dedicated all of my money to the church. Mm-hmm. So I'm supposed to take care of them. Uh, I can tell you from my experience of being around the world about American values and about other cultures, and I don't want to, I don't want to make it like a cultural, like a cultural debate, but I have taken notice in my nine years that I did in the Marine Corps, especially in the Philippines. The Philippines, they really do honor their mothers and fathers. Over there, their culture is, is uh, you know, when your mother and father are old, you take care of them. Right. Well, that's you know? the right thing to do. And what I mean by take care of them is, is you don't, you don't, you won't see hardly any Filipinos in hospice care homes. Right, or nursing home. Or they, a nursing they stay at home with their family. Like that, like right. we'll see here in sure. America. Right, and so that's the Eastern mindset, isn't it? And th- these are Eastern people so here. When it this comes is the to, Orient. When it comes to honoring thy mother and thy father, uh, let me tell you, they take the cake. Sure. Well, but remember, in the United States, we're um, all of our values are focused towards individual and not family, right? right? It's about me. Well, it didn't used to be that way. Yeah, well, but we've been we've been programmed. We only the darkness got that way over over time. Right. Years. The darkness has pushed the light out of us. We've gotten used to the dark now. So, and in a sense, that's what's going on with these Pharisees. These Pharisees are. It's all about them. Look at me. God gave the Jews the religion so that the Jews could go to the world and say, "Look at God." That's why He gave them their religion. But instead of them using that as a light to bring the world to God, they used it as a spotlight to shine on themselves. Mm. Right? So he says, um, the Lord said, You Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but inside you are full of robbery and wickedness. So they had these rituals, you know, and we do this in America, like, you know, if you went to the, if you went to the dinner table at my grandparents' house without going to wash your hands first, like, they would make you go to the bathroom and wash your hands, right? Because you'd been outside playing with right. dogs and, you know, dead animals and whatever you was doing. That's probably why there. we don't get sick now, though. Right. right. And so you go to wash your hands before you came in. And if you sat down at a table and you saw somebody sitting across from you and they had, like, mud all in their fingernails and dirt all over right. their hand, what would you think? <laughs> don't touch my food. Like, don't right. pass it. I don't want you to pass the potatoes to me. Like, I'll get them myself. Yeah, yeah. Because we think of, like, what, like the cooties, you know what I mean? Like, oh, you're going to give all me right, your cooties. Right. Oh, 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 don't touch the thing. That's all right. right. Just leave it there on the table. Right. I'll get the potato so, salad later. So they had these rituals, these religious rituals, which was just a part of their system that emphasized the outward cleanliness. And what Jesus was saying is, it's not about how clean you are on the outside, although that is important, but it really is the inside that reflects the true outside person. You, he's saying to these people, you wear nice three-piece suits that's been, you know, custom fitted and, and, uh, been to the dry cleaners and there's not a wrinkle in them and you smell good, you put on the best cologne and, and you drive the nicest cars and, you know, you are squeaky clean on the outside, but you're full of robbery and wickedness. And so he said, you foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? 
So he's focusing on the fact that God created us in his image, right? Mm -hmm. And we are all created. He created us on the inside and he created us on the outside. He gave us a body, a soul, and a spirit. He created us and we are one complete creation. And you can't divide the two. So if the inside is dark, no matter how much you try to clothe the outside with light, it's not going to do any good, is it? You know, I can have the most beautiful lamp at my house with the most beautiful lampshade in the world, but if there's not a bulb in the lamp or no electricity, that lampshade, you're not able to, it ain't doing you no good, is it? No. You need the light from the inside. But it's nice to look at without the light. (laughs) Well, but it doesn't do you any good when the dark comes. Oh, yeah. (laughs) All right? And so we, we understand that. He's he's chiding them and saying, you focus on all of these external rules and regulations and things, but the purpose of the law is to show you that your heart is not right. To, to expose your sin and cause you to turn to God and to find the light. So he says, but give that which is within as charity and then all these things are clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, you pay tithe and mint and rue and every kind of garden herb, and yet you disregard justice and the love of God. But these things you should have done without neglecting the other. Okay, so here's the deal. They tithe the tenth of everything, the the Jewish people. There was a tithe. And so even their garden growth, they would give a tenth of it to the temple. So mint and rue is, is coming and thyme and uh, mint, these herbs that they would grow in their garden. And what they would do is they would take a tenth of what they had grown of that mint and they would tithe it to the temple. You see? Would the priests eat it? Yeah, they would use it in their cooking and, and whatnot. Because remember, the priests didn't have a... They didn't earn a living. They right, didn't they have didn't a... Work. Their whole inheritance was the temple well, itself. And so the they made all of their... They got all of their food and all of their necessary living supplies from the gifts of the people. And that's why God set it up that way. Right. So taking care everybody. of everybody. So he said, you pay tithes of mint and rue, and yet you reject justice. You reject love of God. You see? So there's a lot of people... That, you know, they'll get, they got money and they'll donate money to causes just so that they can get their name on a plaque or get attention for themselves. Or just so they can get a tax write off, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of people donate money because they can write it off in their taxes. That's true. You know, you see? So are they giving it because of the need of the people who are receiving the gift? Or are they giving it so that they can bring glory to themselves? Mm-hmm. And that's what he's saying here. Oh, you tithe, you give your tenth. But inwardly, you're full of heresy and wickedness and hypocrisy. Bones, dead, bleached bones. Yeah, you see? And he says, Woe to you, Pharisees, you love the chief seats in the synagogues and the respectful greetings in the marketplaces. One of the things that I am not a fan of, and I don't want to defend anybody if you are, and and especially some of my preacher friends, they, they use it, but the title of reverend is not something that I want ever attached to my name. We are to revere God. Reverend means one who is lifted up above the crowd. Revered. And I don't want to be known as that person. The only person that should be lifted up above us is God, is Jesus. You see? And so... Shouldn't we try to be like Him? Sure. 
But there's a lot of people that love those titles. Doctor, Reverend, you know, they, they put, there's a lot of people that like to call themselves apostles. There are no apostles these days, but <laughs> the apostle, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never heard of apostle today. Yeah, oh, yeah, there's a lot of people that claim to be apostles. Those church is apostles. Yep, yep. And so they, they love these titles. They have their doctorates. There's nothing in the world wrong with that education. There's nothing wrong with the world getting a master's degree in theology or a doctorate in theology. Those are good things. But when you use those degrees, when you use those titles as a way to lift yourself up as opposed to glorifying God, then you're using them for the wrong purpose. And what he's saying is there's certain people that love to get to be, sit in the big chair. Yeah. The throne, as we call it. Yeah. Well, in the in here, it's called Moses' seat, and it was a seat in the temple where the the high priest would sit down and make the rules. They do it in the Roman Catholic Church now. Mm-hmm. The, there's a term in and when the when the Pope makes a papal decree, he can make it ex cathedra. What does that mean? It means from the chair. It means that this is a binding law on all of. All the Catholic people. Well, all of the world. And if you don't follow this rule, then you're anathema. You're damned. So. Uh, Infallible. If he is speaking ex cathedra, that means from the chair, then he is making an infallible decree that has to be followed. Popes Above make, and beyond whatever kings right. were that day? or Yeah. Really? So. That ex cathedra is just taken from here. This was Moses' seat. It was the seat that the rulers would sit in to make the rules to rule the people. And they loved those big high chairs. That was their goal. I, I don't yeah. I don't understand. I, I, I'm not a big fan of it at, at churches. I, I don't know why they do it, but they do. Mm-hmm. You'll have the guest preacher and other preacher. They sit up there above the whole crowd and sit up on the stage, you know, waiting for them to be called up to the pulpit. Big <laughs> right. We right. got little chairs. Yeah, you got little chairs. Underneath the thing. Now you can't see it. That's why we have the high papa because you, yep. your, your attention is on God's word and not right. who's speaking. I'd, so, be, I'd be happier just a regular barber's chair that you could just... Yeah, in church, George. <laughs> yeah. So, the point being is, is what what does that seat represent? Authority. Authority. Authority yeah. They love to be the ones in control, mm. the ones calling the shots. Okay. And there's not a one of us in this room that don't like to be recognized and be, you know what I mean? Like, but there, there's part of us that likes to have our head. Yeah, but they're I'm not one like that. Like, even if I do something, I would rather somebody else get the credit for it. Right, right, right. There gets yeah. to be a point, especially when you're changing in Christ, that you don't want that attention. You're a bit uncomfortable when it comes sure. to you. That's where I'm at. Sure. I've kind of had that happen, like, where I have been the center of attention. And it's like when I try to digress from the attention, it's like, I'm not trying to bring the attention to myself. So then when I'm put in situations, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I've been on the outside where the outside is clean and you're looking filthy on the inside. I've been in those positions several times. I know how that feels. And, you know, and so now being in recovery, it's a whole other ballgame. And then to operate from this whole Christian's perspective from the lens of Jesus Christ, and you walk in the churches, and you walk in some of these places, and you can kind of, like, feel like you try to feel like your words are getting twisted up you know like you care for you i'm like super careful about what i say to anybody sometimes you know well you know the bible says about that keep your mouth shut when you go in the house of god mm. Mm. 
They said, you know, don't be going in there and making a bunch of promises you ain't planning on keeping because God will hold you to what you say. I'm afraid to make promises because I know I have to sure. keep them. Already so you understand what he's saying here when he says, woe to you Pharisees, like you're in trouble because you love the chief seats and you love the greetings in the marketplaces. Right, so everybody, yeah, everybody acknowledging that they're, oh, look, they're, they're look, the high they're, they're Pastor Bob, you know, oh, look at that. Hey, Pastor, how you doing? Is that why they wore the ephods with jewels and all that? No, that was the high priest. He was doing that. Okay, that was part of Well, the cardinals and the bishops also dress that way, too. Sure. Yep. So we see what he's doing here. He's calling these people out because they're living in self-righteousness, self-sufficiency, hypocrisy, um, ignoring justice, burdening other people with demands that they're not even keeping themselves. And, and, and so then he's even going to get, watch what he says. So, woe to you for you, you are like concealed tombs and the people who walk over them are unaware of it. So he compares them to tombs. What is a tomb? The grave. A dead body is in there. You see? So what would the deadness be? The deadness of them spiritually. And people step over them not knowing they're stepping over the dead. Now, what's wrong with stepping over the dead? Well, in the Jewish laws, if you touched a dead person, you were defiled. You were unclean. You couldn't go to the temple. You couldn't pray. You couldn't. You had to go through a purification ceremony. You weren't allowed to touch dead bodies. You see? Even if you were the ball bearer? Yes. You weren't allowed to. You weren't allowed to touch dead things. Well, yeah, a pallbearer would be carrying the casket, not. Yeah, but that person touching. would. They would. They would probably hire a, a, a non-Jewish person to right. do that for them. Because um, so another thing is, you remember in Matthew twenty-three, Jesus calls them whited walls. Well, all around Jerusalem and any of the tombstones, what they would do is they would paint the coverings to the grave solid white. And you'd look out over the landscape and you'd see all of these little white doors all over the land. Well, what was the point of that? Well, one, there's a dead person in there. You want to try to make it look pretty. You know, you want to try to decorate it up and and forget that there's somebody dead in there. But another thing is, is you had to mark the graves so that someone unknowingly doesn't walk by and get the file by touching it. You see how that works? Mm. Now, so even walking over the grave would make them unclean. Yes. Okay. So think about what Jesus is saying here. You are white on the outside. What does that mean? Clean. Oh, you all clean on the outside, but inside of you is what? A dead yeah, man's yeah. bone. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. You see? Oh God, I definitely get it. I get it. He's calling them out. And so then one of the lawyers said to him, now here's what are you calling Johnny Cocker? Yeah. So here's one of Johnny Cocker. He said, he said, teacher, when you say these things, you're insulting us too. And that should always be our reaction to the words of Christ. He's talking to you. He's talking to me. You see, we should always remember that He calls out our sin. Why? So that we repent, so that we turn from it. So this lawyer understands that Jesus is incriminating. Who is Jesus incriminating at the table? Everybody. Everybody, right? <laughs> so the lawyer said, but he said, Woe to you, lawyers, for you weigh men down with burdens hard to bear, while you yourselves will not even touch the burden with one of your fingers. Sometimes people just make rules just so that they can, you'll be busy trying to keep those rules so that they can break the rules they want to break. 
Like they're just making rules up just to keep control over people. You see? And he said, woe to you, for you build the tombs. All right, so now we're going back to this grave stuff again. You build the tombs of the prophets, and it was your fathers that killed them. So what he was saying was they would build up statues. Uh, well, they wouldn't build a statue, but they would build up these beautiful grave sites, you know? Bonaventure. Like Bonaventure. Right, right, that, that's right. exactly what you think of. And he said, and you got these big dedicated memorials to Elijah the prophet. And you got these big dedicated memorials to all of these prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah and all of these. Their graves are there, and you all go to their graves and hang out. Of, you know, well, they don't hang out on their graves, but you build these big extravagant grave sites to remember these prophets. And yet it was your parents that killed them. Look what he says. So you are witnesses and approve the deeds of your father, fathers because it was they who killed them and you build their tombs. In other words, so what is a prophet? Somebody who knows the future, basically. Well, that's, that's a, a certain type of someone prophet. Someone who speaks but for God. Someone who speaks God's words okay. is a prophet. All right, so name some of the prophets in the Bible for us. Isaiah. Isaiah. Elijah. Elisha. Ezekiel. Good. All right. Um, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, right? There's a whole pile of them. A lot of prophets. What about Moses? Moses was a prophet. Good. Well, what, um, in our yearly Bible study right now, we're re- uh, in, in our yearly read through the Bible, we're in the book of Numbers. And one of the things that's constantly happening is people are constantly complaining and telling Moses, just let us go back to Egypt and we'd rather go there than die out in this wilderness. They're always complaining and grumbling against Moses. But the point being is, is that all through the Bible, God would send people to call out the people on their sin. And what was always the reaction of the people? We're sons of Abraham. <laughs> we'll kill you. Shut up or we will kill you. We do not want to hear that. Well, when they say we do not want to hear that, what do they say they don't want to hear? They don't want to hear from God. They don't want to hear the truth. Because the light calls out the darkness that is in them. And so their natural reaction to the truth is what? Stamp it out. I'm right and I don't want to hear that. Yeah. Now, what are they trying to do to Jesus? They're trying to kill him. Yeah. They're trying to stamp yeah, out his life. They don't want to lose their way of life. That's and, exactly and right. Their, uh, so, Jesus is saying that every time that God has sent a prophet to you people to get you to turn from sin itself and to turn back to God, you've killed him. And now you've built up these big elaborate tombs for the prophets, but it was your parents that killed him. It was Judas who sold him out. Well, he hadn't, Judas hadn't sold him out yet in this... <laughs> not yet, not yet. Right, but he says, for this reason also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill, and some of them they will persecute. So God had already told him. He said, I'm going to send apostles. I'm going to send prophets. I'm going to send these people to you, and you're going to kill them, so that the blood of all of the prophets shed since the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who was killed between the altar and the house of God. Yes, I tell you it will be charged against this generation. Now there's a very neat little note about that. So Jesus is saying from Abel to Zechariah. Now what he's talking about is what book is the story of Abel in? 
Genesis. 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 That what yeah. what book is that in the Bible? First one. The first book. Now, what is the story of Abel? Why was Abel killed? Jealousy. Jealousy. Okay. The reason he was killed was because he did the right thing. Yes. And his righteousness incriminated his brother. So what did his brother do to him? His brother killed, him. killed him. You see? Mm-hmm. And the Bible says that the blood of Abel screams out of the ground. But it was Make all- him pay for what he's done. But it was all over jealousy. Well, it was all over the fact that he would not recognize God's righteousness. God kept calling out to Cain and telling him to change, and he never would. He refused to turn to God. Abel was a prophet of God, one that came and gave the proper sacrifice, showed Cain, his brother, what true faith looked like through his actions. And what was his brother's reaction to that? Kill the messenger. George seems confused a little bit about that. No, I'm not confused. I'm just, I'm just like, okay, here I am as Cain. My brother just got more sheep and more cattle than I did, and his his herd, his flock's bigger than mine. Why? What have I done different than he did? Well, it was the offering the problem, that they gave to God. Was, both of them gave an offering, and God accepted Abel's offering. But he rejected Cain's. Right. Cain knew what he was supposed to do, but he didn't do it. Right. The reason why God accepted Abel's offering is not just because it was a sheep, but because it came from where? His heart. A righteous heart. Cain, Abel was given the sacrifice because he wanted to give it to God to please God. Cain was given the sacrifice because God demanded a sacrifice. Oh, here, you want a sacrifice? Here, here's some of my fruit. When God rejected that sacrifice, what did he do? He killed his brother. And a lot of people think that Cain killed his brother with uh, a stone. You hear a lot of people say he killed him with a stone. The Bible doesn't tell you what he killed him with. But I personally think, this is just a speculation on my part. It has no biblical ground to do it. I think he took a knife and cut his throat. He said, oh, you want a sacrifice? I'll give you a sacrifice. Well, you're probably right because later on it says that his blood calls to God. So we know he shed blood. But it happened out in the field, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm thinking if it happened out in the field, it had to have been something farm-related. But it spilled his blood. Yeah. So we won't know until we get to heaven, but I think the attitude behind it was Cain saying, okay, you want a sacrifice? Here, I'll give you a sacrifice. And what did he do? He killed the one who had God's favor. In the same way that all of the prophets... And how arrogant is that? I mean, he's talking about God here. He's going to kill the one... Now watch what he says. He said, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah. Now, what's neat about that is the story of Zechariah being killed is in the book of Second Chronicles. Well, in the Jewish Bible, not the English Bible that we have, but in the Jewish Bible, the first book is Genesis, and the last book is Second Chronicles. That's the last book in the Jewish Bible. So what Jesus was saying to these people was from Genesis to Second Chronicles, every prophet that God has sent, y'all killed him. And you're still doing the same thing. So it would be like somebody today with an English Bible saying from Genesis to Revelation, you always killed the prophet. Remember, they didn't have Matthew to Revelation at this time because it hadn't been written yet. Uh, their whole Bible was Genesis to to Malachi for us, but for them it was Genesis to Second Chronicles. And at the end of Second Chronicles, they killed a prophet named Zechariah. 
So what Jesus is saying from Genesis to Second Chronicles, you've killed every prophet that I've sent to you. See what he's doing? He's calling them out. He said, Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the keys of knowledge you yourself did not enter, and you hindered those that were entering in. Alright, so what's he saying? He's saying, you won't receive God's knowledge, and you're doing everything in your power to prevent other people from getting it as well. You're burying them in your rules and your interpretations and forgetting the weightier matters of justice and love. Mercy and justice. See what he's doing? He's condemning them. And it said when he left there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to be very hostile and to question him closely on many subjects. What does that lawyer do when you get some on witness stand? Mm-hmm. Question you very closely. What are they looking for? Uh, Something they can condemn you with. And so the rest of Jesus' earthly ministry is going to be about these people who he he's really went in and kicked the hornet's nest, didn't he? He went right to the heart of the matter and called them out. And now for the rest of his ministry, they're going to do whatever they can to find some reason to kill him. Why? Because that's what the darkness does to the light. Light is coming to the world and the darkness cannot comprehend it. The light comes into the world and the darkness does whatever it can to try to stamp out the light. Right? So, um, I'm not quite sure where we'll be next week, but this should give us some things to think about. Um, I I do hope that each of you, there's a couple of things to that one statement. Watch out that the light that is in you is not darkness. That's a really heavy, weighty passage or, uh, or warning from Jesus for me and you. So next week we're not going into 12? I don't know. if we, I think probably we will be. But I, I got a question. Uh-oh. You, well, I'll wait till next week. All right, you can wait till next week. That's why I put a mark on me. All right. I'm glad you have a question. I'm bringing down no rabbit hole I'm right now, Mom. I'm as much as Zacharias wanted to ask about. There's four or five yeah, in there the Bible. Yeah, there are several of them. So let's close with a word of prayer. And uh, we'll thank y'all guys for being here today. Lord, thank you for this time you've given us together. Thank you for loving us and telling us the truth. And I do pray that you'll give all of us in this room a heart and a mind to receive and believe that truth. I pray that you will help us to um, see areas in our life where we're not walking in accordance with you and give us the strength and willingness to turn and repent to your truth, your way, your truth in your life. So um, be with everyone here, helping them to have a good week, help them to have opportunities to know you better and to share your love with other people. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.